Let's pray. Oh God, we've been much in worship already. We don't move into a new gear here. But Lord, we want you to know, in the context of this continuing worship, that what is about to happen is not a matter of simply reporting or entertaining. We earnestly pray that out of out of the collage of what is about to be shared, you will call some of us right here, right now, to give our lives for Jesus in the cities of this earth and the cities of this nation. To that end, as you get ready to appeal to us by the conclusion of this service, begin even now preparing our hearts. We pray in Christ's name. Amen. I want to read an email to you that literally shifted the ground beneath our feet on October 1. But before I do, I I need to go to that text that uh, Zaida and John read just a moment ago. Open your Bible, please, to the Gospel of St. Luke. I want to get the Scripture right in front of our, our minds, our spirits. And who better to have stand there than the Lord Jesus Himself. This is Luke chapter 19. Jesus does not say a single word in this solitary verse. Not a word. But He he responds. And in that response, my own heart really, i got to tell you, really senses. He may be asking. He He may be preaching volumes to this third millennial crowd today. Luke chapter 19. I'm in the New Revised Standard Version. What is this? Verse 41. Read it just a moment ago. Let's read it again. And as he came near and saw the city, that's the city of Jerusalem. As he came near and saw the city, what did Jesus do? He wept. He sees the city and he weeps. I heard a man once upon a time, I was playing some tapes that somebody loaned to me. I'm listening to these tapes by a gentleman named Robert Logan. And I heard him say a sentence that is stuck in my my brain and heart ever since. The sentence goes like this. We must come to the place where what breaks the heart of God breaks our hearts too. What broke Jesus' heart? He saw the city and He wept over it. Anybody here weep over the city? Anybody? Anybody at all? Got an email on October 1. Here it is. I want to read it to you and then turning it over to the team. October 1, Monday morning, I'm in my office going through uh, weekend emails. This came on, you know, I I really dislike these where somebody gets something they want to forward and they forward it to everybody in their address book. Do you get those two? Yeah, well, I don't like them. But uh, anyway, I am so glad that my friend Madeline Johnson went ahead and kept me on her list. Because what you're about to hear would never have taken place if this email hadn't made it to this little old cubbyhole here in the Pioneer Memorial Church. Dear brothers and sisters, oh, this is from a pastor in Manhattan, New York. His name is Samir, I always butcher his last name, Selmanovich. Selmanovich. Samir was one of my students here in the seminary. So he sends a letter out and Madeline forwards it to me. Dear brothers and sisters, life will never quite be the same again. 
In one hour, New York has been transformed from one of the world's greatest cities into a place of pilgrimage. We all wonder if we will ever really feel safe again. Here in New York, the pain is palpable. Shock is now giving way to great sadness. Here at the Church of the Advent Hope, Upper Manhattan, where he pastors, we're organized to give people comfort and hope. We've opened our church to those who felt the need of professional counselors. 200 people have walked into our church, Upper East Side, Manhattan. We lost one of our members in the tragedy. He was the chairman of our church board, a wonderful young leader that inspired us all. It was his first day on the job on the 94th floor. First day on the job. Tuesday, September 11, 2001. Never in our history have we here in Manhattan had a greater opportunity to learn to love the world and be faithful to God. Our neighbors are more open, open now to our ministering than ever before. Please help us to reach out to sorrowing New York. We are in desperate need right now. Pray for us so that we can deal courageously with our tears, with our wounds, and with our future sign, Pastor Samir. I read this. I said, look, how, how can I read an email like this and not do something? So I got on the phone, called my buddy Glenn Russell, who is this professor, one of the professors of religion here at Andrews University. And I said, Glenn, we've got to take some students over to New York City this weekend. It's Columbus Day. We've got a long weekend, Friday and Monday off. And Glenn said, Dwight, I was praying this morning. God, if you want me to get a group of students together, have somebody call me today. Hallelujah. So he said, I'll work on the bus with Andrews. You get a hold of Samir. So I try to get a hold of Samir. He's got a cell phone. He's got a home phone. A little, little apartment at the back of the church, actually. And we were not connecting. We were leaving messages back and forth. It wasn't until Tuesday morning at 10 o'clock that I connected with Samir. I said, Samir, we want to come and help. He said, okay, you come. We got a basement where you can sleep. How many are you going to bring? I said, we'll bring 45. He says, we have one shower. I said, that's not a problem. With Andrew's students, that is not a problem. So I said, look, we want to come. What can we do? He said, okay, we'll call this a ministry of presence because our congregation desperately needs you. We, we, are, we are just broken. Every time we have worship, we call it a memorial service. It's so painful for us. So we'll call this a ministry of presence and a ministry of prayer. You come. And so that was at 10 o'clock. We had to get... So I called Glenn back. I said, Glenn, it's on. He said, okay, you make the announcement. I'll put some signs up. We'll take sign-ups at the end of chapel. So... We got up in chapel. Short little announcement. No sightseeing. No visiting family. No touring. This is mission, mission, mission for Jesus Christ. New York will never be more open than today. If you have $100 and you have to have 100 you can come. 45 spots on that bus. Over 90 Andrews University students signed up to go on that trip. I tell you, that says volume. That speaks volumes about the students at Andrews University. Wow. I had kids coming to me and saying, look, I can't go. My schedule's conflicted. I'll give $100 for another student to go. I had several students come to me that way. I said, right now, check, $100. Where'd she get that money? I don't know, but she did. Just like that. So we went. As Tom Brokaw says, I love it, in the evening news, he says, okay, now, in their own words, let's hear the story. So we're going to hear the story with video today and with personal testimonies. And I'd like our fearless leader, Glenn Russell, who really led us. Uh, Ranko Stevanovich, who prayed this morning. Susan Zork, Rob McIntyre, all part of the team. But Glenn was our leader. And so, Glenn, set us up, please. You've probably noticed many participants this morning wearing a button like this that says, Jesus loves New York. 
I want to also say Jesus loves Kandahar also. But we go where the doors are open. And the door was open for us to make a trip to New York City. It's a trip about what God has done, not what we have done. It's a trip that could be divided in two parts, really. The first part is a ministry to that hurting church in New York City, that Church of the Advent Hope. Don't you like that name? The Church of the Advent Hope. A church that had gone through so much, and we went to hug and to listen and to share with those members. The second part of our experience was to minister to the people we met along the subways in the parks and down at Ground Zero in New York City. Hi, my name is Susan Zork, and I was privileged to go to New York City with my daughter Jasmine and all those other folks. Part of my responsibility was to talk a little bit about Evan Hope and that church and what we experienced there. Recently, and over the past few months in particular, I have been struck with a concept of what it really means to do heaven's work here on earth. That is, God's work with human effort, as it comes to each of us personally. The sweet, fun people of Advent Hope Church and their thoughtful, precious pastor did a lot to underscore the simple, blessed understanding that I have come to believe. At its very basic, fundamental level, God's work is so easy. It's easy to do the work of heaven. In the context of heaven's work, it is not so much about securing yourself a place in the plan of salvation, but much more about providing heaven for someone else. Providing heaven. Pastor Samir uh, referred to Matthew 25 at one of our times together, and he made it the point obvious in the clear inference of Christ when he said, whatever, whatever you did to one of these my brothers, you did it to me. You did it for me. When you reach out to someone else, make no mistake about it. You reach out to Christ himself. Christ hopes and dreams, and a part of the very Godhead itself lives ten million times over in the city of New York. I saw him. I heard him. I laughed with God and ate with him at a crazy little restaurant in Greenwich Village. My new friends from church, Colleen and Dan and Belkis and Russell and Linnell and so many more, they courted me. My new friends on the subway, especially Maria and Ozel, they courted me too, as did Golda in the pizza shop and Kevin, who I spent some time with in Central Park, along with a thousand other faces that had real lives that they lived. They all invited me, all these offspring of God, They invited me to fall in love with them and treat them accordingly. 
The people of Advent Hope taught me three basic and wonderful truths. You cannot truly love what you do not know or are willing to know and embrace. Love, number two, is most profoundly expressed in the smallest and most ordinary things of life. That came through so powerful and strong from those people. And number three, real ministry is accomplished in the context of genuine friendship and a relationship. That's where it's at. We know that in God's heart, no one is left unloved. I want to read to you just one text, Matthew 11:29. This is Jesus talking, and he says, Take my yoke upon you and learn from me. Do what I did. Act the way I did. For I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. It's easy to do the work of heaven. It is how we live each and every singular day. Hi, my name is Tanya Gainza, and I'm a junior a psychology major. New York was a totally different experience for me because I had not only never been there before in my life, but being a shy person, it required me to be in a bus 24 hours with people I barely knew. And then when I got to New York, go up to people and talk to them about God, people I had never seen. And it was kind of a scary thing for me. But on Saturday, I was feeling a little like I hadn't been doing my job, I hadn't been interacting with the church, and our objective was to support these people, was to just give them a friendly smile and a hug. And so I looked around for a lady or, or somebody that was in need of some kind of support. And I saw this lady. I got up. I, I went up to her, and I shook her hand, and I chatted with her for a little while. But as we conversed, I realized, you know, she's doing okay. You know, maybe I should look around for somebody, for somebody else that might be more in need. And I thought that would be a little bit rude. So I stayed with her, and I continued to talk to her until the sermon began. And after the sermon, we were singing a hymn, and I realized that she kept uh, putting her hand up to her face. And I glanced over, and I thought I saw she was crying. And I didn't know what to do. I was like, God, I'm here. I'm, I'm here to do your ministry, and I'm not sure what to do. And I prayed silently, and finally I looked over again, and I realized she really is crying, and she's in need of something. And so I put my arm around her, and for the last two couple stanzas that we sang, she just continued to cry. And at the end of the sermon and at the end of the, the song, um, I took her side, and we prayed together, and she continued to cry. Later on, she came up to me, she searched me out, and she's, she just told me, she's like, you know, I don't know what happened to me. I had been fine up to this point. None of my family or friends had been hurt, and something in the sermon just moved me, and the song just brought the emotions to surface, and she's like, you were an angel, an angel that God brought to me. And I rejoiced because, because I was able to be there for somebody, and Marjorie will forever stand out in my mind, making me realize how much God can use me if I only let him work through me. Hi. <clears throat> There is hope and healing in New York City. 
On September 30th, we went to Central Park, and I saw many people smiling, cheering and applauding for those people who were running in a marathon, talking, even people getting married. And this gave me hope after what I have seen in Ground Zero. Fear, broken heart, sorrow. At first, I was kind of intimidated to speak to these people because they appear so fine. But after speaking to one person, the other became easier to speak because I could see their pain deep within their hearts and trying to forget and put back their past. My dis desire to help was inexplicable, and I felt hopeless, timeless. But I truly believe in the God's promise that he gives in Psalm 147.3. He says, he heals the brokenhearted and binds up their wounds. Isn't it wonderful? When I came back from this um, New York trip, I found this Bible text. And I found hope in God. My duty is to daily pray for these people, for their healing. It is not in my hands. It is in God's hand. So I truly encourage you to pray for the healing of these people. And especially for those pastors who are going to a different section of New York City. That God will make the best tool to open the people's heart so they can find hope and healing in God. Thank you. God bless. Good morning. My name is Kelly Razouk, and I was privileged to be part of the team that went to New York City. Business as usual went on in downtown New York City, but at Union Square, time seemed to stand still. Once bustling with activity, the park now had been transformed into a place of grieving, of healing, and of hope. As I made my way through the maze of candles and flowers and pictures, one particular tribute caught my eye. It was a cardboard box with tattered brown edges and watermarks where the rain had beaten on it. This box served as a makeshift memorial for three-year-old David Brandwurst. It was filled to the brim with memories of David and pictures of the blue-eyed, brown-haired toddler. David and his father Daniel were supposed to fly the night before, but instead they were on Flight 175 en route to Los Angeles on September 11. Their plane crashed into the South Tower of the World Trade Center. This memorial was left by his grieving grandmother, who lost both a grandson and a son. She wrote, there's just a complete feeling of helplessness because you can't do anything. I need to collect my thoughts just to make it real, she said. It's hard to make it real. As I gazed numbly at this small box, I shut out the noises of the crowded square and the words of the song that I had sung earlier at the Advent Hope Church came to my mind. There's a better place where our Father waits, and every tear he'll wipe away. The darkness will be gone. The weak shall be strong. Hold on to your faith. There will come a day. Amen. What an experience. I will never be the same again. 
My name is Robert McIntyre. And after watching the unfolding of the tragic events of September 11th, I became quite restless. I was trained as a pastor, trained as a counselor, psychologist. And I tell you, I felt primed for response, but hopeless. I didn't know what to do. I wondered about the fallout in New York, spiritual uncertainty, severe post-traumatic stress, just a sense of overwhelming demoralization. This mission trip to New York came as an answer to my prayers, quite a blessing. From the personal testimonies given on the bus on our way there, I could tell that this team of very diverse people were dedicated, were refreshingly spiritual, and were purposeful. This was no joy ride. The mission experience was a moving one, an experience I will never forget. The Ground Zero experience was quite unimaginable. That dank, dour stench that hung over the air matched the helplessly wounded stares on the faces of the thousands of people milling around. And they were there from everywhere. People came from every walk imaginable to satisfy curiosity, to offer help in some way, to grieve with New York, and in many cases, believe it or not, to even take advantage of New York's new vulnerability. New York needed Jesus, and our team did represent the great physician, the wonderful counselor, in small groups, as well as as individuals. We met with groups of people, and we met with individuals too. Police, military personnel, emergency workers, and just everyday people, subways at Ground Zero, on the streets, in Central Park. They wanted to talk. They wanted to cry a little. They wanted to pray. They wanted to share their frustrations, their anger, and their pain. And they wanted to put things in a, a, a broader, more eternal perspective. Praise the Lord. I remember approaching one lady, just standing there. She was kind of whimpering, like a dog that's just been hit. She was trembling. I approached her cautiously, just touched her, and said, How are you doing? And she just started talking, just spilled out of her. She had been running from the building after one of the explosions, and something hit her, and she pulled back her blouse and showed me the big bruise there. She said, as this object hit her, she looked down on the ground, and she saw this young mother, saw a baby's arm severed about here, still clutching a doll. She won't ever be the same again. A young fireman came to the church where I was looking for a counselor, we talked. He was having nightmares. He was having nightmares. He was helping a lady. He had been going through the rubble, seeking um, to rescue people. Saw a lady saying, help me, help me, as he reached to pull her up, to pull her out of the rubble. Her torso just came up. She broke off. Just that. 
He was having nightmares. We prayed with these people. We cried with them and gave them some form of hope. And I praise the Lord for that. I went to New York hoping to be a blessing. But I came back certain that I was eternally blessed by this mission experience. Thank you to the organizers. Thank you, Sue and Kelly and Robert. Open your Bible one last time. I want to make an invitation right now. Book of Acts, chapter 18. We read this in our scriptural collage a moment ago. I want to go back there again. Acts, chapter 18. Jesus loves New York. Jesus loves Los Angeles. Jesus loves Detroit, Chicago, Benton Harbor. God loves the cities of earth. The question is, ladies and gentlemen, and young adults in particular, what are we going to do about it? How are we going to respond to the love of Christ for the dying cities of earth? How do we know He loves the city? Well, come on, look at this. Uh, Acts chapter 18, verse 9, one night the Lord said to Paul, who was wondering about going into the the, the sprawling uh, metropolis of Corinth, a decadent city, the Lord said to Paul in a vision, Do not be afraid, but speak, and do not be silent, for I am with you, and no one will lay a hand on you to harm you, for there are many in this city who are my people. It isn't that God is big on skyscrapers or, or asphalt jungles. The fact of the matter is that where there are human beings, there is the heart of God. And the massive majority of earth today lives in urban centers. You know what, folks? It's not Papua New Guinea anymore. It's not Africa. Well, of course God loves Africa. Of course God loves PNG. But for a third millennial generation, the time has come for us to realize the new mission field for young adults in the Seventh-day Adventist church is the urban centers, is the urban center. The urban center in this nation, the urban centers of earth. Why does God love the centers? Because the people are there. Now, He loves New York. One out of every 300 people on earth lives within 50 miles of Times Square. One out of every 13 people in the U.S. lives within 50 miles of Times Square. God loves New York. I'm going to make an invitation now. But before I make the invitation, I'm going to warn you, there are three realities that you're going to have to face before you respond to this invitation. Put these three on the screen. Reality number one, the urban challenge is immense. If one in every 300 people lives within 50 miles of Times Square, there aren't enough of us in this building, there aren't enough of us in this community of faith to one-on-one -on -one humanly at all go to our cities. The urban challenge is immense. We were sitting on uh, the curb there on Park Place. This is Upper East Side Manhattan. Uh, Glenn and Ronco and Greg Offenbach, our bus driver. And we were looking up at these, these towering sky rises. I mean, these are, these are posh uh, uh, condos. How are we ever going to get behind the brick? How are we going to go inside the plate glass? It is absolutely, humanly impossible to reach everybody in New York. But I appreciate Ronco. I brought the guys out there to kind of despair and let's pray that God would do something. And it was Ronco who said, hey, hey, guys, come on. He said, please, let us not forget that the God we worship is omnipotent and God can do anything he sets out to accomplish. 
God could have an angel show up beside every human being on earth and literally overnight lead an entire planet to Christ or give them the choice. Couldn't he do it? Of course he could. I just came back from four days in L.A. shooting the next six programs to pay for today's new television ministry, The Evidence. You know, I, I am now, after New York, absolutely convinced that we have got to invest in television. That's the only way we're going to get behind those bricks and behind that plate glass. But the fact of the matter is, folks, television will never save this earth. It will only open the door a crack. It will raise a window a few millimeters. It will have to take human contact. God can set up the webs. God can make sure you talk to the right one who, bing, 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 moves through an entire uh, a relationship uh, web. The urban challenge is immense. The human cost is high. Financially. If you respond today to today's call, you need to know that I believe the enemy of God has made certain that the most expensive places on earth for the gospel to penetrate are the urban centers. It will cost you everything financially. It will cost you professionally. In that little church of the Advent Hope, I couldn't believe this. I met two young adults, I suppose 23, 24 years of age, both of them medical graduates. So they're coming to the Big Apple now, the capital of the world. To, to get their residencies. They said, we could have chosen other cities in the U.S., but we felt compelled by God to come here. One, a residency in cardiology. The other, a residency in neurology. Why are you going there? This is a, you don't have any garden space. You don't have just two stoplights in your village. Why would you come to this town? Because we believe, the woman and the man said, these two young adults, we believe Christ has called us to serve His kingdom in the medical profession, inside New York City. I want to tell you something. It's a high cost. Some of you are going to have to adjust your professional ambitions in order to respond to God's appeal to take on the cities of earth. You're going to have to simply say, my dream to climb up the ladder and achieve it as number one in whatever profession it is you're going into, I'm going to have to give that, I'm going to have to sacrifice that ambition. I'm going to have to climb one ladder, and that is the ladder of God's passion to save a lost world one last time. The urban challenge is immense. The human cost is high. And finally, you need to know this. And this is, this is the, the other side of the coin. The divine precedent is compelling. Calvary is premised on a God who has a single passion. That passion is so, it is so gripping to the heart of God. He does not even, get this, God does not even sleep at night anymore. He does not sleep. Night and day, the solitary passion. I want to put on the screen before I make the, invite you to come forward. These words, I carry them in, my, in the cover of my Bible. In the last few weeks, I have been reading these words, written in 1905. I've been reading them over and over again. Take a look at this. this talking about the example of Jesus, the same devotion. You want to be like Jesus? The same devotion. The same self-sacrifice. The same subjection to the claims of the Word of God that were manifest in the life of Christ must be seen in the lives of His servants. Anybody who goes to Andrews University is a candidate to be, obviously, a servant of God. You are a servant. He, Christ, left His home of security and peace, left the glory He had with the Father. Security and peace. He gave all that up. He, he could have been content to stay there. He was enjoying the adulation of the universe. He had a reputation to protect. He was as popular as a being can get in the universe. He leaves it all. He walks away from that security. He left the glory. He went forth, a suffering, tempted man, 
went forth in solitude to sow in tears, to water with His blood the seed of life for a lost world. And now notice this, ladies and gentlemen. In like manner, His servants, you and I, we are to go forth to sow. The divine precedent is compelling. And that means if, if security and peace and professional success and reputation are what you are enjoying right now, it may be that the precedent of Jesus Christ is going to call you to walk away from what has been a warm bosom of non-obstructed, non-hassled living. It may be He will call you to move into the heart of the urban centers of this world. Charles Suds gave millions of dollars of his uh, fortune, became a philanthropist for missions. He gave his millions to missions because he came across these words of an atheist one day and they convinced him, these words, that he had no reason to further invest in this life. The words of an atheist, what what you're going to read here on the screen, the, the guy does not believe, the one who wrote this does not believe, but look at these words. The atheist writes, Did I firmly believe, as millions say they do, that the knowledge and practice of religion in this life influences destiny in another? Religion, read Christianity. Religion would mean to me everything. I would cast away earthly enjoyment as dross, earthly care as follies, and earthly thoughts as feelings, thoughts and feelings as vanity. I would throw that all away. Religion, Christianity, serving Christ would be my first waking thought and my last image before I sank me into unconsciousness. I would labor in its cause alone. I would take thought for the morrow of eternity only. I would esteem one soul. If I could just get through life and reach one person in one city, I would esteem one soul gained for heaven worth a life of suffering. Earthly consequences should never stay my hand or seal my lips. Earth, its joys and griefs would occupy no moment in my thoughts. I would strive to look upon eternity alone and on the judgment-bound souls around me soon to be everlastingly happy or everlastingly miserable. And the atheist doesn't even believe what he's writing. He said, if I ever believed in something called religion, if I believed in Christianity, here's how I would live it. His final line, I would go forth to the world if I believe. Now, if you don't believe, you don't have to go forth. I would go forth to the world and preach to it in season and out of season. And my text, the only text that would be my guiding light, would be, What shall it profit a man if he gain the whole world and lose his own soul? Christ Himself said in John 20, 21, just before He left us, the compelling divine precedent, as the Father has sent me. How's it go? How's it go, congregation? So send I, you. So here's the invitation. This is, you know, we've been having invitations all this week with Dr. Mahondo, and this is very different from those invitations. If you would be willing to step out and answer the call of God to move into an urban center somewhere in this nation or somewhere on this planet, even if it meant tweaking or adjusting or shifting career plans. If you would be willing, if you're already in a career, to reset the context for your profession inside a city. Immense urban challenge, high human cost, compelling divine precedence. But if 
in the face of those realities, you would be willing to give your life for the Lord Jesus Christ in a city somewhere on earth. I'd like you today to come out of that pew and to come here to the front. And I want to pray with you. If you would be willing, willing. This is not a call for general rededication. Well, I guess I've got to get up because the pastor's given a call. Nope. This is a call for service. And this is very specific in its appeal. It is for service in a city. Fine. God will send people to countrysides. God will send people to little villages. Let them go. If God is speaking to you and you sense that if God ever looked down your way and He called your name like He did to Isaiah, who will go for me? You would say, just like Isaiah in Isaiah 6, here am I, oh God, here am I, send me. If you would be willing, because God needs to see your heart and sometimes the public affirmation of an inner conviction will make it clear to you that you are now listening for the voice of God. I don't know where God is going to send you. But I know that the final frontier for the Seventh-day Adventist Church and for Christianity as a whole, the final frontier is the urban soul of every nation on earth. If we write off the cities, Christ, Christ cannot write the last sentence to this final chapter. The cities will be. What do you think? He goes to Babylon, the great city of Babylon. He says, come, my people, you're in Babylon. Come. Why did He send Paul to Corinth? Why did He send Jonah to Nineveh? If God loved Nineveh, He loves Chicago. He loves Benton Harbor. It is the next wave of the Seventh-day Adventist Church's mission. And why couldn't Andrews University in the entire system of this community of faith become the great sending place for urban mission in this nation and around this world? Why couldn't this school Set the pace. You saw these kids stand up. All it took was a heart that wanted to work for Jesus. He took care of the rest. He gave, he gave the testimony out of timidity. He gave a witness. They stood for Him. He said, I'll give the word to you. You stand for me. I'll take care of the rest. The immense urban challenge. The high human cost. But the compelling divine precedent. Jesus wept for the cities. Is there anybody else? Anybody else? You're not doing this for me. <laughs> There's nobody having a sign-up sheet today, by the way. I've had students come up to me and say, Dwight, are you going to send another bus to New York at Christmas? Maybe. I don't know what's planned. I don't know what's going to happen tomorrow. I just know about right now. I'm, it's time to make a decision. By the way, when I'm through making this decision, I'm going down to respond to this altar call myself. When we made the invitation in first service, I was very surprised when amongst those coming forward, I looked up and I saw a faculty member and his spouse coming forward. I said, wow, you mean somebody teaching here? if God called, would be willing to go to a city instead? I talked to the wife after the service and she said, we, we just felt compelled to offer ourselves to God and tell Him we are open 
if you call us to a city anywhere on this planet. I got another faculty couple sitting, standing right here, Mark and Lady Regazzi, in four days. They're going to New York. We talked about this in chapel the other day. They're going to give two months out of their career. Just stop it right there. Hit the pause button and let us go to New York and let us become a light for Christ and in two months see how many lives we might touch for His kingdom. I'm going to pray with them in just a moment. Let's kneel together as we pray. And so, Father, we have sung the words, the words that Christ speaks to us. We sing them back to You. As if to say, even as You sent Jesus, we humbly ask that You might send us too. And all of us kneeling before You right now are sent. We are sent to the little worlds in which we live and move and have our being. We are all sent ones. We cannot bear the name of Christ and not be sent. So, Holy Father, first of all, thank You for reminding us of that sentness that is part and parcel of our lives and our journey, no matter where the journeys will lead. But, dear God, today we've watched You just for a fleeting moment weep through the tears of Jesus over a city. We have heard You cry out, I have many people in that city. They are My people and I must call them. Come to Me. And so there is a second group, Holy Father. And we kneel here in the crosshairs of this university congregation's aisles. We kneel not quite sure what happens next. We kneel simply because we know that unless the cities of earth are reached, your heart will never find peace. You will never have rest. And so, we long to come to the place where what has broken your heart will break our hearts too. And that we will weep over New York and we will weep over Benton Harbor, and we will never again drive through a city or pass by an urban center and not be moved and feel a strange, mysterious tugging. Father, those of us who now kneel in the cross aisles of this church are telling You, if You want us to go to any city on earth, we believe that with Your Bidding will come your enabling and you will empower us to act out what we have just committed to do. We have no idea what's going to happen in the next moment, let alone the next day, week, month, and year. We're simply saying to you, have all of us. Here are we. Send us. Send us. And dear God, do not let us forget that on this autumn's day in October of 2001, we made that choice. Nobody else will remind us but the angel who stands beside us. Don't let us forget. And may the heaven that has witnessed this commitment now grant a new sensitivity so that with new ears to hear, we shall know the calling and the direction 
and for Mark and Levy, a part of our own right here. Those of us who are around them are going to reach out to them right now and put our hands on them. And we're going to pray that, dear God, these two months will be seismic in their own experience and that like a, like a light, like, like a lighted city on top of a midnight hill, their lives will be a shining witness to the healing of Christ's love and Christ's peace. Go with them in just a few hours. Bring them back to us safely. And out of their contagious witness, may we be reaffirmed that today we made the right choice to give our lives for the salvation of the urban soul of this last civilization. And so beneath the outstretched, nail-scarred hands of Christ, dismiss us now. For we believe that He is able to do utterly more than all that we could think or imagine. Unto Him be the glory in the church, both now and forever. Let all the people say, Amen. Amen.